Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You are joined as always by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and beautiful Zara Ellis with an E McDonald, that would be you. I don't know how to handle a compliment <laughs> in this random day. That came from nowhere. Hey. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. Coming up on today's show, an Aussie fashion designer's Instagram posts about Invasion Day leave everyone confused, raising questions about performative activism online. Plus, Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas's bizarre breakup, the latest on Harry Styles' relationship with Olivia Wilde, and finally, a deep dive on the worldwide sensation that is Jojo Siwa, who this week announced that she is a member of the LGBTIQ community. But first, Zara, how was your week? It was a good week. Back in the office for the first time in how long? Maybe <gasps> nearly a year. Almost a year. And yeah. it is so good to actually be surrounded by people and not just myself and my thoughts. Well, I think it's one of those things, and I wonder if there's a whole contingent of people who have been working from home listening to this who would agree that I look back on the period where we worked all day from home every day mm. and wonder how I did it. Like, mm. I get the ick a bit now when I think <laughs> about working from home. And from my couch. Yeah. Like, so not – like, I was looking at office chairs yesterday with Mitch actually and they were all rated on back support and it dawned on me I spent a year working from my couch is my couch the most ergonomically suited office chair in the world probably not no I reckon there's going to be a whole host of back problems as well from people who did work from home through this period so I don't think the couch was a good (laughs) call but it's just lovely like it's nice wearing real clothes again I'd forgotten what was in my wardrobe yeah and a big apology to anyone listening from London or like New York right now we know that we are very very lucky in Australia to be in the position that we're in and actually be able to go into offices and be surrounded by people so love to those who don't have the same scenario sorry to rub it in it is glorious to be back together. It's lovely. It's like the band is back together. It feels a bit like that and bouncing off people during the day though I've realised <laughs> perhaps I can't handle distractions because I'm used no. to 
sitting in a room working without any distractions or people talking. The minute people talk, sorry, not to be past our Annabelle as, as everybody sits around me, I'm like, oh, I can't handle it. You're I leave so the room. Funny. I pick up my laptop and leave the room and I feel like everybody just stares behind me. The rest of us, because we're a team of five now, the rest of us just kind of like chat and work. But you are very much, I'm either chatting and looking at everyone or I'm looking at my computer and I can't handle noise. And it's very clear when you get frustrated because you're like, I'm just going to go work outside. I don't think it's with that tone, but it's definitely with that sense. <laughs> I do have a recommendation this week. I'm pretty excited to recommend this one, actually, Mish, because I think you in particular will love it. Why? Have you seen the Tiger Woods documentary that's around? No. It's two parts. I think I thought that you would like it because you loved that NBA doco series that went on. I yes. like That's about as good as I can get when well, I'm talking about what it's called. It's so funny because I'm like, yes, I did love it. It looked at like Michael Jordan's career and I cannot remember anything else about it but you're right I did like that NBA documentary exactly now I'm not the biggest sport fan I appreciate sport I watched like the tennis from time to time adore the Olympics but when it comes to golf in particular I to be blunt couldn't be less interested boring as shit boring as shit but there's a two-part documentary on Tiger Woods I think it's called Tiger but to be totally honest with you you can't miss it just type in (laughs) Tiger Woods I watched it on Foxtel now I think you can get it on binge as well and it's just two parts both parts are about an hour and a half the first part documents his rise as a golfer the second part documents the fall (gasps) now the interesting part about this documentary is everyone who was interviewed or most people I should say who were interviewed for it have had some sort of falling out with Tiger or some sort of split relationship. So in comparison to the Michael Jordan documentary, which was heavily involved with Michael Jordan to the point where it was overly positive, some people before this was released were arguing that perhaps it would be biased against Tiger and you've got all these people with vendettas. So I walked into it thinking that it was going to be spectacularly harsh. I actually walked away feeling a lot of sympathy for him. It really took me by surprise. I know that Tiger has done a lot of terrible things in his (laughs) past, but I did think that this documentary put a really interesting spin on his rise, the fame, the family. It was just, it was really interesting. This is so fascinating because I was having a coffee with someone on the weekend and I don't know how we got onto this topic, such a cliche, but we asked the question to each other, who is the one person living or dead you'd have a dinner party with? One guest. And this person said Tiger Tiger Woods. Woods. And I sat there and judged them a little bit. I was like, oh, what a playboy, what a dickhead. But he must have been watching the Tiger Woods documentary and just not got into that part of the story. Well, my dad and my brothers are like pretty interested in golf. And I remember... I remember Tiger Woods, after the scandal broke, came out to Australia and played a game. And I'm pretty sure my dad pulled my brother out of school to go and watch. And I was like a bit judgy being like, dad, this guy's like disgraced when you're going to watch the golf. And then I kind of realised with context how incredible his comeback as a golfer has Mm. been, how long he lost his way for and how much he hates the media and not in like a cliched I hate the media way, but he's not a very charismatic guy. He seems super shy in front of the camera and not really good at playing it up to, I don't know, the media and journalists. And I think it's because he really doesn't know how to handle himself. And again, sorry, I'm going on about this. Again, it makes me wonder about the price of fame. Sorry to lowball your highbrow story, but also I just love a good cheating tale. Like give it all to me, inject it into my veins. It's what I want. The best part about this is the first half of the documentary I adored and it was all the sport part. And I was like, I haven't even got to the sexy (laughs) stuff yet. Like this is amazing. (laughs) So that's my recommendation. I really genuinely loved it. So Mm. you don't have to be a a sport fan but I think you probably have to appreciate the the art and the effort that goes into becoming a professional sports person the art 
I think it's an art. You're very into it. I'm really into it. <laughs> Watch it this week. Come back to me next. How was your week? It was a good week. I mean, I am spending all my time with you, so we basically have the same weeks at the moment. I we know. are desperately trying to keep our office plant alive. As I said before, we're a team of five now in the Shameless office. Everyone kind of has their plant or two plants that they're in charge of. We have an ivy plant, which anyone who's in the plant space or likes plants would know is probably the easiest of the plants to keep alive. We walked into the office today and our plant is the saddest looking plant out of all the plants. Is it true? I don't know if this is true. Someone told me recently, because I have a plant that's dying and I don't know if it's because of sunlight or water, I probably <laughs> it's probably in a dark place and I don't water it, so perhaps both. Someone said there's an app where you can take photos of the plant and work out what's wrong with it. Yeah, it's constantly fed to me on TikTok. But I always see ads like that. I'm like, is that actually le- – Annabelle, can you search if that's actually legit? Because we <laughs> Yeah, app help. to help plants stay alive. We need to figure out something because it looks pretty depressed, but that's okay. I do feel completely overwhelmed when it comes to indoor plants. Like, some people are very good at it. I think you either have a natural knack for it or you don't. And I don't think that I do. And I find the whole thing quite stressful. Well, I truly had to point out to you to be like, Zara, what's happening with our plant? And you looked at it, you're like, it looks fine to me. <laughs> and then I had to show you what an actual ivy plant is supposed to look like. You're like, oh shit, it looks like it's dying. The only time I ever water one of my tiny plants is when the leaves shrivel up into <laughs> itself. And I notice <laughs> that it hasn't been watered, which I don't think is the best way to approach indoor plants. Annabelle Lee. It's called planter. 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 Okay. <laughs> Perhaps I'll try using it this week and it may be my recommendation for next. I do have a recommendation for you right now. Oh, hit me. I want everyone to go listen to the obesity epidemic episode of You're Wrong About. I'm sure people have seen You're Wrong About. It's a podcast that has topped the charts, not just in America, but here locally in Australia as well. They did a deep dive last year on the obesity epidemic and why diet culture is so profoundly screwed up. I think this is just an awesome educative piece for anyone who feels like they have internal fat phobia or people who struggle to feel empathy for those who exist in larger bodies. I think this episode is so compassionate and so wonderful in the message that it delivers and I truly adore it. So if you have listened, please come fangirl with me over You're Wrong About. I'm really, really loving that podcast. Have you listened to the episode of This American Life called Tell Me I'm Fat and it's with Lindy West? We've discussed this on the podcast before. I am absolutely like convinced we've discussed this multiple times. I think we have. It's one of their most well-known, I think, in recent memory in particular. Mm. And that's a really good episode on the back of that. I haven't listened to the episode of You're Wrong About that you're talking about, but I reckon those as a one-two punch could be good. Let's throw the hotline, Zara. Today we have Stephanie. Hi, Mission Zara. My name's Stephanie. I am a Latina. I was born in Australia, but both my parents are Chilean migrants. And I wanted to give my thoughts on the whole Hillary Ilaria Baldwin <laughs> issue. I think it's really funny that she's decided to run with this accent. I mean, it is offensive to people of colour. She is appropriating a white culture, a white European culture, so it is slightly less offensive. But the issue is in the US, a lot of people think of Hispanic and Latinos as being one, whereas most people from Latin America distinguish Spaniards as being European and not being part of Latino culture. But she is a mostly irrelevant celeb. I mean, I'd never really heard of her prior to this whole issue. And I will admit it has kept me really entertained. But Hillary has the benefit of being white, having white privilege, being very affluent, and then being able to appropriate this culture and a stereotype at that and saying, you know, that she's this spicy little Spaniard. I think that's really, really disappointing. A lot of people have worked so many years to get rid of this accent. I mean, I have an Australian accent, but growing up, I had a slight Spanish 
Spanish twang for particular words because I obviously learned English from my parents and I'm a lawyer now and I fought really, really hard and worked a lot harder than a lot of my peers just to fix my vocab and my pronunciation. She doesn't get to pick her culture. You get given what you get given. You can appreciate the crap out of other people's cultures, but you just can't appropriate them. Stephanie, firstly, thank you for calling in. We did get quite a few voicemails about this one from many people with quite similar opinions. There was a couple of things I took from that. Firstly, perhaps not the most important point, but I didn't mind the descriptor. Spicy Spaniard. Spicy Little Spaniard or something. (laughs) Now, every time I think of Alaria Boulder, I'm going to think of Spicy Little Spaniard. But she did make two really important points. A, about how she sort of had to force herself to unlearn her own accent over Mm. the course of when she was younger. And B that also Hilaria Baldwin kind of is a bit of a relevant celebrity, as harsh as that is. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, a lot of the people who called the hotline were grappling with the exact same things that Stephanie was, that you find parts of it funny and ridiculous and just like laugh out loud crazy. And then the other half of it, you see the complexity and you see the damage that this could do to people who have experienced marginalisation because they are Latina. So thank you for calling in, Stephanie. That was an awesome hotline message and really educational for white people as well. Absolutely. Mish, let's get into our first segment of the day. This is a pretty big one. So do you want to start? Do you want to launch us right in? I do want to start. So you guys might have seen this floating around either on your Instagram timeline, on different gossip pages, gossip forums, or you might have seen it covered by basically every Australian publication yesterday. So basically on Invasion Day, which was Tuesday, known to some as Australia Day or January 26, PE Nation founder and influencer Pip Edwards posted a series of Instagram stories and then followed it up with an Instagram post. What was interesting to a lot of people, Zara, is there seemed to be a huge disconnect between some of those posts. So in her original Instagram stories on Invasion Day, Pip Edwards took a screenshot of a letter to the editor of a newspaper. That letter, I'm just going to read it to you word for word because I think it's important. The letter that Pip Edwards shared read, If another country invaded Australia and took it over, massacred many of our families, took possession of our land, homes and properties, took away our culture, forbade us from speaking English and punished us if we did, took away our children in an effort to cleanse us of our ethnicity, herded us into enclaves and missions, rounded up our sons, fathers, uncles and grandfathers in balls and chains and treated us as subhuman, would we and our descendants want to celebrate the anniversary of that day? On top of her screenshot, Pip added the comment in black and white. Now, what was really baffling and confusing is that on the back of that post, Pip Edwards proceeded to share very sunshiny, very affluent, very joyful photos from her having an Australia Day barbecue. Yeah, it certainly appeared to be an Australia Day party. I mean, she uploaded videos with the Australia Day and the Aboriginal flag flying. The Aboriginal flag was upside down, but I think it wasn't the stories necessarily that landed her in the headlines. It was a feed post that came later where she uploaded a photo of, I'm just going to say a beach because I don't know where it is. Mm -hmm. And she said on that, a day to celebrate the land that we live and thrive on. I love you Australia. The comments came in pretty thick and fast and understandably too, Mish, because she has about 170,000 followers on Instagram. So this is a pretty influential person on the Instagram space. And I think the fundamental question that people were asking in the comment section was how can these two things both be true to you? Because it wasn't just that letter to the editor she shared on her Instagram stories. She also reposted a post from her brand, PE Nation, who were acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on Invasion Day. So there was multiple posts where she had acknowledged the genocidal history of the day and yet 
still wanted to celebrate the day later on her feed. It's so incongruous, it is truly befuddling. Like, I don't even know how to pair these two things up in my head, that she has stories that say today is not the day to celebrate. Literally, the last line of that letter, would we and our descendants want to celebrate the anniversary of that day? To then proceed that night to write a caption, a day to celebrate the land that we live and thrive on. It truly feels like two different people have posted this. And maybe that is a theory that we can posit that maybe someone a social media manager, someone from PE Nation does have input in Pip Edwards' personal Instagram page. If that's the case, clearly two people were not on the same page. But that's one of the theories that I really have to put out there because I'm so befuddled as to how these two things could have happened in the one day so close together when they are literally positing opposing beliefs and opposing viewpoints on Australia slash Invasion Day. The other theory of how I think this could happen is clearly on Instagram, there is a dominant belief system. And I subscribe to that, that we should absolutely change the date of Australia Day, or at the very least, change the tone of how we mark Australia Day, that it should either be a day of mourning, or it should be a completely different day altogether, because I think it is incredibly disrespectful to First Nations Australians. What I think might have happened here, though, is, is it possible that someone like Pip, who is very influential on Instagram, very influential on social media, has seen that this is is a dominant belief system that many Gen Zers and many millennials subscribe to and therefore she needs to subscribe to that belief system too or at the very least appear to her followers like she subscribes to it and I wonder if this is a problem with Instagram more broadly that we've gotten to the point where your politics are a personal branding exercise that you need to put out politics that mirror the politics of your followers of your brand without actually living those through Like, is it possible that she put this out to be like, I need to tick a box. Today's a day where people are going to be looking at what influencers post what things about Invasion Day. I need to post at least one meme and I need to take a stand early on and then not live that out. Like, I'm just confused. Is it a thing where she's like, this is my brand. I need people to think this is my brand. But behind closed doors, actually, I really want to have a barbecue with my mates. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because I think all it does is expose the flaws in like performative activism because you're right. I think a lot of it is box ticking. I think a lot of people are posting because they do want to tick that box. And it it just raises like these incredibly complicated questions. Like, does an example like this put a question mark on any kind of activism or political conversation online? Like, does this put a cloud over so much of what we saw on Tuesday? And I do feel like it does a little bit because you start to wonder, well, okay, how many of these posts weren't legitimate or how many people didn't actively believe the things that they were saying? But I'm also trying to then work out whether that's a bad thing or not. Like, is there a healthy scepticism that we should have about activism that exists on spaces, particularly from white people who are trying to be an ally? Mm. And then I wonder... Is it actually good then for this stuff to be flooding our feeds if not 100% of it is legitimate or not 100% of it is genuine because it's flooding anyway and perhaps access to resources is important for people who don't know why this is a bad day to celebrate? I think the issue with this Pip Edwards example though, and I don't want to make it all about Pip because, again, I think a lot of people on Instagram are performative. I don't think this is just about her. This is a problem with the platform at large. I mean, activism online by definition is a bit performative though, right? Yeah, exactly. But I I think... In this instance, it's kind of a case of having your – is it wanting your cake and eating it too? Is it that saying where it kind of feels like through Pip doing this, she kind of goes, oh, well, as long as I put this messaging out that I'm opposed to the day, I can still go eat shrimp and have this beautiful balcony and spend it with all of my mates. I truly think that if you believe what you say, Tuesday would have been a day where you were reflecting on our country's really fucking dark past and the truth, not even the past, our dark 
present. Yeah. Where Aboriginal Australians are dying almost nine years before non-Aboriginal Australians. So is this a case of we don't want people to post when they're not genuine or is this a case of saying if you are posting something, live it? I, I guess think it's I, both. Yeah. I think it's absolutely both. I don't want people jumping on Instagram and doing this stuff for clout. Like I truly believe that we're in a place now where your personal politics, if they're progressive enough, bring you clout. And I hate that. I hate that it's become this trendy, cool thing to like, me too, guys, me too. The Hemsworth brothers are saying they're opposed to Invasion Day and therefore I'm opposed to it too. Like it needs to be something where you truly need to live it. And I think we saw it with the black tile last year, people sharing without doing the actual work. And I think this is that to a T. And we did reach out to Pip's team for comment. They didn't get back to us at the time of recording, but if they do get back to us, we will pop it on our Instagram stories. Coming up after the break, Ben Affleck's weird breakup plus Jojo Siwa's rise to the top. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumbler of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Michelle, Elizabeth, Andrews, what have you got for me? My first story, Casey Affleck says he wasn't the man throwing out brother Ben's Ana de Armas cutout. That is from Entertainment Weekly. I still can't believe this is a story. Would you like to give context? I would absolutely love to give context. I have to say, we actually haven't spoken about Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas much on this podcast, but I do think that their relationship has been one of the more intriguing relationships in celebrity land in the last 12 months. Why do you think that? Well, let me start with the breakup <laughs> first. So last week, Ben Affleck like Anne Anna de Armas ended their year-long relationship. And I think some context before we jump into the actual breakup, there are articles and rumours swirling around that this may be a loving relationship or it may be a bit of a PR stunt for the both of them. I mean, there is no denying that Ben Affleck has been in need of a little bit of a, a PR hand, I guess. He needs a little <laughs> bit of a, a public cleaning up because he's had his fair share of scandals. And, you know, on the opposite side of that, Anja Armas is not as well known as Ben Affleck. She's incredibly well known in her home country of Cuba, but she's trying to make it as an A-list celebrity in Hollywood and Putting yourself next to one of the biggest names in Hollywood is surely going to get people talking about who you are. So Nikki Swift, the celebrity sort of gossip site, wrote an article a little bit ago saying something is very strange about Ben and Anna's relationship. They also noted that according to Cosmopolitan, their romance when it was announced was all sudden and very public. Cosmo did add at the time that they were dating that Affleck and Armas basically cannot stop being photographed together by paparazzi to the point where some Instagram lurkers think their relationship is a PR stunt. So I I guess it kind of fits the narrative, Mish, that last week the Daily Mail obtained photos showing of a random man disposing of a life-size Ana de Armas cutout. Like, it's so odd. The man is dressed. Have you seen the photos? Yeah, we posted on our Instagram account. He's kind of, I'm trying to get the photo up. From memory, it looks like he's in like a hazmat suit. He, he's dressed in what looks to be a fluoro top, a face covering and a camouflage hat. <laughs> the camouflage hat is one of my favourite things because it's like, ooh, can't see me now. And he's got sunnies on. So like, yeah. I'm, oh, does he have sun? I'm and trying gloves. to tell. He's extremely covered. Like, if you imagine a man head to toe, we get like maybe his eyebrows and some eyes and that. That's it. Like, who is the mystery man tossing out a life-size cutout of Anna de Armas into the trash? 
Well, apparently it's not his brother, Casey Affleck, because this man was so hidden and all you can see is a couple of eyes. Everyone's like, is this Casey Affleck throwing the cutout out? I also want to add, Mish, this cutout is not just of Ana de Armas, like, standing. It's a cutout <laughs> of her, like, lying with her... What's the pose where you have your hands under your chin and, like, smiling? She has it for anyone wondering. She's lying on the ground. She's got her feet kicked up into the air, her elbow on the ground also, nice and her hand in her chin... And, and, like, her hand in her palm. And a hand no, on the wait, hip, hand I think. in her palm, her chin in her, her chin and her palm. Her chin and her palm and a hand on a hip. Yep. That should be, oh, that's almost a rap song. <laughs> um, anyway. It's the furthest thing for a rap It's not song. bad. <laughs> anyway, so it's a ridiculous cutout. So in an interview with Entertainment Tonight, Casey Affleck had to address rumours that he was the one throwing <laughs> this out, saying it wasn't him. He also then mentioned in the same interview that he can't even really say if Ben and Anna have broken up for good oh. or whatever. I'm so confused. Like, how does this happen where a paparazzo happens to be at the front of Ben Affleck's house and in full vision of the camera, a mystery man covered head to toe in various clothing that is very mismatched, pops Anna de Armas in the bin and Anna de Armas is facing the camera. It's not like we get the back, like we just get a clear cardboard thing and they're like, who, what is that being put into the bin? Anna was facing the shot. Yes. Oh, Connor's life size cutout. No, you're absolutely right. That's a great point. The angle was clear. This reminds me of that time that a former Bachelor star, who I will not name, was photographed (laughs) very, very clearly after breaking up with her partner with like a box of like her name and then it was like her stuff. And it was like, oh my God, could this get any worse? But why, like, why would they want to? I don't know. Also, why does he have a life-size cutout of his partner? None of it makes sense. But here we are talking about them both a week after their relationship has ended. Perhaps this is what they've wanted the whole time. May I also say, if this is a PR stunt, it's not like a sexy or like hot photo of Ana de Armas. And for a very, very hot person. Are you kidding? For her brand, it's pretty naff though. For her brand, she's in like a white t-shirt and like black leggings and black socks. It's not like a hot life-size cutout. If this was a PR stunt, wouldn't Ana de Armas' team be like, she is getting the hottest life-size cutout to throw into that trash. Nah, I don't know. It's a bit more wholesome and a bit weirder <laughs> with that in mind. And I think that's probably what they're going for. My second story, Sabrina Carpenter is now denying her new song is an Olivia Rodrigo diss track and wait, what? That is from Pedestrian TV. In case you missed it, resident PR stunt aficionado Zara McDonald got this right last week when she posited the theory that Olivia Rodrigo, Joshua Bassett and Sabrina Carpenter are all in on a PR love triangle. And they absolutely are, aren't they? Honestly, from one PR stunt to the next. So if you missed it on Friday, Sabrina Carpenter released a new single. It is called Skin. I would like to read you the first verse. Please. In it, she goes, sings, (laughs) says whatever. Maybe we could have been friends if I met you in another life. Maybe then we could pretend there's no gravity in the words we write. Maybe you didn't mean it. Maybe blonde was the only rhyme, the only rhyme. (laughs) Lyrics sound so stupid when you read them out. The chorus includes lyrics, you can try to get under my, under my skin. (laughs) I know, you can try to get under my, under my, under my skin while he's on mine. Yeah, which is strange because if you laid out the message of Olivia Rodrigo's song, keep in mind, Olivia's 17, it was Sabrina Carpenter's super hot, I wish I was her, she's dating the man I'm in love with. Joshua Bassett's song was about lying and now Sabrina Carpenter has come out and basically been like, 
fuck you, I'm sleeping with the guy you like, which just doesn't feel very on tone for what Olivia Rodrigo's song was even about. I just feel a bit embarrassed about the whole thing now, to be totally honest with you. Like, I, at least with the publicity stunt, do a Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas and let us sit here and try and work it all out. With this, I'm like, this is embarrassingly obvious. In an Instagram post, Sabrina Carpenter, who, by the way, has like 20 to 30 million followers somewhere in that realm. We touched on this last week. Oh yeah, we did. She has heaps. <laughs> she said, I wasn't bothered by a few lines in a magnificent song and wrote a diss track about it. I was at tipping point in my life for countless reasons. So I was inspired to do what I usually do to cope, write something that I wish I could have told myself in the past. She then went on to say, I don't want this to become an endless cycle. <laughs> oh, please girl. Of course you all do. So please don't take this as an opportunity to send more hate anyone's way. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, Mish, Zara, you haven't explained why this is definitely a PR stunt I think we omitted an important fact oh dear all of these three songs were released within a week of each other so we literally had like Olivia Rodrigo go one it might have been like a Friday or a Saturday Australia time it was like Olivia Rodrigo one Friday next Friday Joshua Bassett Friday after Sabrina Carpenter like even the timeline of this seems so manufactured so drummed up for PR hype. You almost can't tell me a plausible excuse for how this isn't. Some people, we posted a TikTok about this that went very well. Thank you to all the people who liked it. <laughs> but we did post a TikTok about this and a couple of comments came back to us being like, well, people can write songs really quickly. And other comments came back and said, this can't be a PR stunt because Joshua Bassett wrote Lie, Lie, Lie over 12 months ago. To which I say, why didn't he release it 12 months ago then? If he wrote it that long ago, which I'm not denying, if it wasn't a PR stunt, he would have released it whenever. But he chose to release it seven days to the hour of Olivia Rodrigo releasing hers. And then to the people saying, well, Sabrina Carpenter might have written this and released it really quickly. I don't think the average pop song with that level of production behind it is created and kind of put down to paper and put into a music track within a week. Anyone who reads our book club book for this month would know that music takes a lot longer than that on average. You're still paying off your hex? What? Do you feel proud that we're still paying off a debt <laughs> that's leading us to talk to uh, talk about a fucking Disney feud on a podcast? I just got so confused. Yeah. I was like, how are we here? My hex is none of your business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet it's not. But I bet you're sitting there wondering what the fuck we're doing with our lives. <laughs> My third story. Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles are keeping things very professional while they're at work together, source says. That is from Marie Claire. Uh, I can't believe, you know what, full disclosure, breaking the fourth wall, we forgot to include the Olivia Wilde and Harry Styles story last week. We were so overexcited about coming back that this is one of the biggest celeb, you know, dare I say, hookups, hookups. Of, of the last couple of months. And the funny thing was we sat together this morning being like, what's a fresh hook to make it seem <laughs> like we didn't forget this? Like this is very strategic of us. There is no fresh hook, guys. We fucking forgot. But let us retrace the steps of this very sugary, very joyful celebrity story. So Harry Styles and Olivia Wilde are working together on an upcoming psychological thriller. It's a film called Don't Worry, Darling. Also with the likes of Florence Pugh. So I'll definitely be watching that one absolutely what a lineup exactly right so news that they had been dating broke in the first week of january they were papped together at a wedding holding hands harry officiated that wedding don't ask me whose wedding it is i actually don't know i think maybe his manager i want to say someone in his circle obviously because yeah (laughs) (laughs) so he officiated the ceremony and during his speech referred to his girlfriend 
throughout. So obviously people put two and two together, thought this very, very hot couple is more than just friends. They are romantically linked. It was also announced in November of last year that Olivia and her long-term partner slash fiancé and the father of her two children, actor Jason Sudeikis, had split up. The timing all matches. She's newly single. She falls in love with Harry. Reportedly, a fun little tidbit, James Corden helps them hide away in his Palm Springs mansion while they kind of like connect and get to know each other and go through those very cute first few weeks of lots of sex. Have we fallen for a third publicity stunt? (laughs) No, fuck it. I believe this one. You can't make me feel cynical about Olivia and Harry. I don't want to feel cynical. It's just the first dot point we had on there was they're starring in an upcoming film. And I was like, (laughs) well, of course, this is going to want to make me see the film now. But anyway, I am very happy for them. They seem like a lovely couple together. Long live Olivia and Harry. The one detail that makes this kind of current to this week, guys, and not current to four weeks ago, is that apparently they're being very professional on set. <laughs> so I spoke to ET online go, and guys. said that they are balancing romance with their responsibilities on the movie. So there you go. Very current, very up-to-date news the, for all the, of our listeners. The weekly update of Olivia and Harry. Only the best for you guys. My fourth story, Army Hammer's ex reportedly shared more disturbing details of their relationship in a new interview. That is from BuzzFeed. Zara, last Last week, we probably didn't explore how dark and fucked up this story is enough. And I think it's abundantly clear just how twisted this all is when you read the new quotes from Army Hammer's ex-girlfriend, Paige Lorenz. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think part of that is on us. We probably didn't do the diligence of acknowledging how dark it is, but also a lot of darkness has emerged in the last week. Look, I also don't want to actively reread these quotes because they are quite triggering. Like, I was struggling to get through them, but what you do need to know about this is Paige, as we said, who is Army Hammer's ex-girlfriend, I think they dated for about four months, accuses him of breaking the boundaries of their consensual BDSM relationship. And she said that while they did used to engage in like consensual knife play, he did push the boundaries of that consensual knife play to the point where she says she's pretty messed up from it all. Yeah, he shattered the boundaries. So on one occasion, she says he pushed the knife into the skin just above her vagina and carved out an A in an effort to brandish her. Her quote to the media was, I rationalised it with his logic of us being a couple to mask the truth, but I was completely manipulated. It's humiliating as it will haunt me forever. I will have laser treatment to get rid of the scar. I want Army to address his demons, see the pain and the trauma that he has caused me and other women. This is not kink shaming. I want that to be clear. And this is a really interesting complexity with this story in that so much of the alleged abuse that has come out from women against Army Hammer is that he did break the the boundaries of their BDSM connection. Totally. And I mean, when BDSM is playing around with pain and power, I do worry that like last week, some people probably won't take it seriously enough because it's like, well, is this kink? And as Paige Lorenz says, kink is one thing, but actually taking power away from women when they don't give you consent to do that is abuse. And the lines here seem blurred on first glance, but actually they're quite clear. Yeah, well, this is the thing about kink. I think boundaries surely are the most important part of the play, Mm. if that's what you want to call it. And he has clearly crossed them time and time again, which is becoming clearer as the weeks go on. It should be noted, though, that Army Hammer's lawyer has come out and said all of these allegations are completely untrue. Any interactions with this person or any partners of his were completely consensual in that they were fully discussed, agreed upon and mutually participatory. I mean, you have to put that on their 
for the record, but on Paige Lorenz's Instagram, she did write after it all, I'm going to be okay, I am determined to heal, move on and pivot from this and add my voice to the movement regarding safe sexual practices. I mean, there's absolutely no coming back from this, is there, for ARMY? No, I don't see how there could be. I mean, Hollywood really does love to pave the redemption stories for white middle-aged men. Do I think they will pave the way for this white middle-aged man? I fucking hope not and I don't think so. Well, here's one thing I forgot to recommend last week that I really do want to recommend right now is Anne Helen Peterson, who was a brilliant writer for BuzzFeed. She now works for herself for Substack. But she wrote this incredible profile of Army Hammer quite a few years ago about how Hollywood kept giving army second chances when he didn't seem to be particularly good at his job and how many chances army hammer has been given over the course of his career so that could be interesting context i'll get annabelle who's nodding and finding the link to put it in our show notes for us (laughs) thank you annabelle my fifth and final story for today's quick and dirty is perhaps the most confusing one (laughs) i think there's been quite a few confusing ones liz hurley 55 sends fans wild posing topless in the snow in risque instagram snaps that is from perth now i mean have you have you has you seen the photo annabelle no oh okay um okay so annabelle imagine someone who has immaculate boobs like first of all posing in the snow with a fur, was it fur? A fur coat covering the nipples, but like precariously so. That fur coat could so easily slip. She snaps, she's looking gorgeous, delightful, sunny, happy, despite it being freezing cold outside. And my favourite detail, Zara, is that supposedly her son took the photos. Yeah, so she's wearing some swimsuit, swimsuits. <laughs> <laughs> we're leaving that in, we're not getting <laughs> She's wearing some swimsuit panties, I think. Is that what we're going to call it? Do we call them panties or is that a bit weird? Do you mean bathers? Bathers. Bather bottoms. Togs. She's wearing bather bottoms. I think she has a swimwear line, which she is apparently promoting. But yes, I think her son did take the photo. According to the son, her son Damien has become famous for being a model and an aspiring photographer and he is responsible for taking most of his mum's Instagram snaps. So obviously mother and son get along well. My favourite part of this story was news.com who covered it got some comments from the Instagram <laughs> to kind of pad out their story to make it seem, I don't know, like there was expert commentary. Imagine <laughs> like there was anything to say beyond she's naked in the snow. Exactly, literally. News.com <laughs> used comments like this to pad out their story. I've been crushing on you since the 90s when I was a teenager. You're still hot as fuck now. I'm 37. <laughs> Fancy that being in the country's most widely read news <laughs> website. Another one said, well, I must say, this is a pleasant and most welcome surprise opening Instagram. Oh, They're just gross. quoting seedy men probably. Am I weird for judging that her son took this photo? Like I can't imagine if my mum turned to me and said, Michelle, quick, or she calls me Shelly, quick sec, I'm going to get my kid off in the snow. Can you snap a few pics for the gram? I'm not sure I'd be super accepting and like keen to do that with my mum. Look, we all have different relationships <laughs> with our mothers. Trish and I wouldn't be going to the snow to take almost topless photos, but I don't know. There's something about Liz Hurley does seem incredibly close with her son. And I just, I think they seem to have a lovely, healthy relationship. So I'm very happy for her, like power to her going out and taking this photo. If that's what she wants to do. That's it's, amazing. And she looks incredible. And she's probably selling the damn swimsuit panties. Absolutely. But the caption, how could I resist? Like, I can think of many reasons why you could resist. <laughs> the weather, for one. <laughs> I think that's all for today's Quick and Dirty. Thank you so much. I don't care if the gondola is closed. I want a fucking gondola ride. 
This week, children's entertainer and former dance mum star Jojo Siwa came out. In an Instagram Live, Siwa said, Personally, I have never, ever, ever been this happy before and it feels really awesome. I've been happy for a little bit now. It's just so, so, so awesome. With 10 million subscribers on YouTube and a further 10 million on Instagram, there's no doubt that Jojo is coming out when her audience is full to the brim of pre-teens and teenagers has a huge impact in creating a safe space for young people everywhere to explore their identity. Mish, I am pretty obsessed with this story and all the headlines that have come with it. Should we talk about the story itself and her coming out? Absolutely. I just want to add one stat to that intro. She has 10 million on Instagram and YouTube, but 31 million on TikTok. She's one of the she most... 31 on TikTok. Sorry that I didn't million. do my digging. Yeah, and well. that's the place where young people are now, Zari, losing touch. I'm on there. Yeah, 31 million people. She's one of the most followed. I'm pretty sure she's in the top 20 influencers or creators on TikTok, which is just massive. Now, this, of course, all began on TikTok as well. Last week, Jojo Siwa sparked speculation that she might be a member of the LGBTIQ plus community when she shared a TikTok video of herself lip syncing to Lady Gaga's anthem, Born This Way. And obviously, that's a really important anthem to that community. It's all about accepting yourself, coming out, being proud about who you are. A lot of people started commenting saying, is this a message? Like, is Jojo Siwa singing this, wearing really bright colours for a reason? Is it symbolic? And it turned out, yes, it was symbolic. That day, she then followed it up with a photo of herself wearing a T-shirt on Twitter that read, best gay cousin ever. Her cousin had gifted her that one. Yeah, so when she did eventually come out on Instagram Live a couple of days later, it wasn't the world's biggest surprise. People had been waiting for it. She did say that she did not identify as being straight, but she did kind of stop short of putting any labels on what she is saying, that she's actually not fully sure where she stands with labels at this time, namely because she says she's never been in love, which is like a really mature way to look at it when she's only 17. I also think it's so fucking important for young people to be able to see someone who can say something like, I'm not straight, but I don't know what I am. Mm. So that it's not like you have to come to full recognition of who you are before you start talking to people about it. It's actually a very mature thing for a 17-year-old to do. I feel like at that age, even when I was in my early 20s, I was desperate to really define things in simple terms, like to sort my own life out. I wanted to reduce it to really basic things. So for her to say, this is complicated and I'm not ready to simplify it for you all is actually really powerful. And that video has been viewed 12 million times. I really want to talk to you about who Jojo Siwa is though and why this has made waves all over the internet because there is such a disconnect I feel between Jojo Siwa the brand and her tens of millions of impassioned fans and then the average adult who Mm. probably just came across her name or maybe knew that she had really platinum blonde hair and lots of sparkles last week but is kind of thinking this week who is this girl and why is she so important? Yeah, and I think it might be surprising to some people listening to this who kind of had never really come across Jojo Siwa to hear us be like, we're obsessed with this story because she's just so bananas huge. But mm. I am so obsessed with her. And I think once you do do the deep diving that we've done over the last few days, you will absolutely understand why. A little bit of context. I do feel like if you didn't grow up with Foxtel, a la me, I do feel like that leaves you in one of two camps. Either you grew up with Foxtel and you knew what Dance Mums was me. or is. Is it <laughs> Still going, which it's is Michelle. Still, it's still going. Uh, you know what? I didn't grow up with Foxtel, whatever. <laughs> you can play really dumb when it comes to Nickelodeon stuff if you didn't grow up with Foxtel. Or you're someone like me who didn't grow up with any of it. Was that you implying that Dance Moms was on Nickelodeon? 
I don't know. <laughs> it wasn't funny. Okay, I think, I think people will agree with me that either you're a foxtail kid or you're not. And if you're not a foxtail kid, you just kind of assume all of this, like Camp Orange or whatever the fuck it all was, existed <laughs> under like this weird Nickelodeon banner. It, you know what? It felt like a fantasy to me. Aww. It felt like an other world. Did you have foxtail no. Annabelle? Annabelle didn't. And so you, you, you don't know who these characters are. You don't know who these shows are. <laughs> and you did at school feel a little bit left out. Well, for context, for those who didn't have foxtail, we had the basic package and it was one of the channels on the basic package that just did like trashy reality programs back to back but it was for adults I'm pretty sure the main group of people watching Dance Moms was maybe like teenagers and young people it wasn't really like little kids like Nickelodeon demo it was the people who wanted to buy into the crazy mum dance mum stereotype which is kind of what the show was right so she appeared on this show for two seasons with her mother Jessalyn Siwa and you know it was a bit stage mummy stage kitty but they've made an incredible career after it like they have done incredible things with her brand since she left the show yeah exactly so she started the show when she was 10 or 11 and as time magazine put it i think this is a really great descriptor both she and her mum jessaline were quote fun to hate in that lots of people watched the show because of them, but they very, very much came across as the mother-daughter duo who tried too hard, who took themselves too seriously and were so committed to the art of dancing and the craft of dancing that it was almost off-putting. Like I remember watching it and being like, these people are intense and they don't really know how to take the piss out of themselves or be very self-aware sometimes. So this was the brand in the very early days and as much as lots of adults didn't like it and didn't feel themselves drawn to it, Jojo Siwa's brand of glitter and rainbow and bigger and better really pulled in a lot of young kids. So she ended up creating this storm of love and hate in equal parts where some people loathed her, but some people really wanted to opt in to the Jojo Siwa brand. Well, there was a really interesting quote on Rolling Stone when they wrote a profile of her where they wrote, Siwa has quickly become not only Nickelodeon's biggest star of all time, but the world's biggest network-based teen idol since Disney turned Miley Cyrus, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez and the Jojo Jonas Brothers into household names. Mm. We want to talk about her influence according to time when Jojo Siwa passes through your town and she might on her Jojo Siwa dream tour, sales of her signature hair bow line at Claire's could spike up to 60%. Her likeness appears in animated form on the Jojo and Bobo show show, a cartoon series. I just wasn't expecting the second show. (laughs) It also appears in Bible form on her Jojo's Closet consumer products line available at Walmart and Target. Amazon has more than six pages of official Jojo products. Like we're talking about a machine here. Yeah, absolutely. So Jojo has sold more than 35 million hair bows. She has millions of subscribers as we touched on earlier, Zara. Her single Boomerang has almost a billion views on YouTube but again tying back into that storm of love and hate that video has almost 1 million downvotes and comments on almost every clip Jojo has on YouTube have been disabled that's how intense the hate is and I want to talk to you about the hate for a second because I think it's been quite pernicious in that a lot of adults I guess want to throw jokes around about Jojo Siwa being an overgrown toddler and that was absolutely the narrative for so long even stars opted into this like Justin Bieber once commented on a photo of Jojo's new BMW. It was wrapped with like glitter and her face and like, as we said, rainbow. It looked like a rainbow had vomited on the car effectively. Justin Bieber wrote burn it on her Instagram. And I find that really interesting that Justin Bieber, he wrote that when he was 25, was once the most loved and hated child teen star. 
was now willing to turn around and push that hatred onto someone else in the same position. Yeah, it's so weird. Also, the other person that has sort of come out publicly and denigrated Jojo Siwa is Bad Baby, who <laughs> I... Infamously called Bad Barbie. I did. I had to catch myself before I referred to her as Bad Barbie, which I have done maybe a year ago. Anyway, Bad Baby retweeted something that Jojo Siwa wrote on Twitter and said, suck my dick. So you've got other teen stars jumping on this too. It's not just adults. You've got other people in similar positions still spurring hate. Mm. I do feel like, and we were talking about this before we jumped on Mike, that the tide seems to have turned when it comes to Jojo Siwa and I just feel like it wasn't just her coming out that made the tide turn. I do genuinely wonder if 2020 has changed much, like if there's an earnestness we come to accept either from people who stick it out for a mm. long time and we're like maybe it is genuine or we get older and we get more tired with the world and we're like if someone wants to do this, let them do it. Well, I think TikTok was actually crucial to rebranding who we see Jojo Siwa as. I mean the overgrown toddler thing really stuck to her until she could kind of carve out her own personality, probably free of record labels as well on TikTok, that maybe her persona on YouTube is very much influenced by the people around her, or maybe she was just more immature back then. Whereas now as a 17-year-old on TikTok, she does take the piss out of herself. I think what a lot of people liked about Jojo Siwa and the tide started to turn in 2020 was that people started to see a personality come through, that despite all the glitter and the sequins and the and the rainbows. Jojo Siwa was willing to stand up there and kind of take the joke and not be so offended. I think a lot of people find it frustrating when big names online can't take the piss out of themselves and Jojo Siwa started to do that, which people love. Do you think another part of it is too, like I know I touched on this in my last point, but there is a a point where you're in the public eye for so long that people just get used to you Mm. and appreciate you more because I do wonder if some of the early hate came from how aggressively that family pushed her into the limelight like there's this anecdote from Rolling Stone that's a little long but I want to read to you and I can't imagine this being read about many other young women in the limelight and us not hating what Mm. we're reading so this came from Rolling Stone as Jojo nurtured her talent on stage Jesslyn sought rotes out of Omaha at an audition for a local community theater production of Annie Jojo then five was too young for any role but Jesslyn had a pivotal interaction in the waiting room one of the mums mentioned that another mother had taken her daughter to California to try and become the next Hannah Montana Jesslyn was livid Jojo's going to be the next Hannah Montana, she remembered thinking. Why are you telling me this? Instead of causing reality show level drama, Jessalyn let that anger morph into productivity. I couldn't say it out loud because here I am, this mum in Omaha, Nebraska, trying to maintain my composure. But that was the first moment I was really thinking that. What? Like I think that so many people had resentment or anger or hate towards Jojo Siwa because of stories like this floating around, like how deliberate the pursuit of fame has been, not on her own hands, but her parents. Yeah, I think another layer adding to why the ship kind of turned around in 2020 for Jojo Siwa was other people who have been on the receiving end of internet hate started to put their arms around her. So in 2020, she collaborated with both James Charles, one of YouTube's biggest creators and the biggest beauty YouTuber in the world. She also collaborated with Paris Hilton, who has been very open, particularly in 2020, about receiving public condemnation and public hate on a huge 
colossal global scale. And I wonder if when we see people like Paris and James, who we have come to adore because they too lived through those dark times and survived them and thrived through them, we kind of think, okay, well, she's got these people around her. They think she's pretty cool. They're willing to attach their brand to hers. Maybe we should join too. Yeah. And so when we want to hook it back to Jojo coming out with the knowledge that she sold, I think in 2018, 40 million hair bows, Mm. You can't underestimate the impact that this can have on young people. Like the impact almost feels self-explanatory now understanding how influential she has been and also how nerve-wracking it's been. I I know Junkie wrote a really good piece about this saying, I mean, let's be honest, Jojo Siwa has always been an icon, but even more so now. But they did make the point that Jojo is at the peak of her career. Like a lot of people don't make these big announcements when they're at the peak because they worry about what happens. But Mm. I think it shows extra strength to be this young and to think it's exactly exactly what I want to do. Absolutely. There are a couple of tweets that really caught my eye. This first one is from Big Fat Meg and received 630,000 likes on Twitter. Okay, all jokes aside, Jojo Siwa coming out is super fucking brave considering she's primarily in children's entertainment and this has potential to piss off a lot of parents, networks she works with, etc. But it's also so fucking cool for that exact reason. What about us? And the other tweet I want to read out is from a user called Sapphic Bisexual who wrote, if you don't think Jojo Siwa coming out as gay is a big deal, just remember that there are a lot of LGBT kids that watch her videos that may have felt so alone with their identity and seeing the person they look up to coming out makes them feel safer and more comfortable with themselves oh what a good way to end the show that is all we've got time for today thank you so much as always for listening thank you so much as well for getting behind our charity merch drop last week we will bring you the final tally from that soon (laughs) (laughs) i love the fear in your eyes you're like what am i promising here and why am i promising i don't know we definitely will though yeah we will absolutely guys if you want to support our independent show please take a pic of where you're listening today are you on a walk are you with your friends are you with your dog do you want to just take a screenshot of your phone app of your favorite part of the episode we would so love for you to put that up on your instagram story and tag us so that we can see it and reshare it the other way of course is to leave a review and subscribe on Apple or follow us on Spotify. That is all for now. We will be back in your ears on Saturday for our book club episode about Daisy Jones in the Six. To be honest, if you haven't read it yet, you can probably smash it out in two days. I did it in a day and a half and it was the best thing I've ever done. It's a great book, spoiler. And then, of course, back on Monday with another In Conversation. In the meantime, we will be on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and Shameless Podcast Book Club on Facebook. I think that's about all the plugs I can give. (laughs) See ya. I've run out of oxygen. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. 
there is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.